All right, so this week um, brings us towards the end of this um, little series on on, uh, Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And so this week we'll be we'll be looking at Christ as king and his humiliation and exaltation. Uh, more uh, this week focusing on his humiliation. <clears throat> um, and again, we're, we're working through Richard Belcher Jr.'s book, um, Prophet, Priest, and King, The Roles of Christ in the Bible and, and Our Roles Today. So it's adapted. I've adapt, we've adapted that book for the Sunday school class, but it's been our reference book. So again, a, another really good book for you to pick up if you have an opportunity. Now, when we think about Christ um, uh, and uh, the role of rather dominion um, from Adam and Eve to Israel to Christ, going back to the beginning, uh, a, a, a role, a responsibility, a commission was given to human beings in Genesis 1 um, to display this, this dominion, to display this, this authority as really um, under shepherds of, of God and his display of authority. Let me have someone go to Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And if you could read that for us. All right, thank you. <clears throat> so there's this, this authority given to Adam and to Eve, um, and everything is put under their, their authority. Um, they are given this, this right to, to, to rule, um, to express and exercise uh, God-given authority that was given to them. And and we, I think I've mentioned this before, but looking at what happens at the beginning helps us to understand what will happen at the end. This authority given to them wasn't just to sit with, with Adam and Eve. Uh, they were supposed to exercise the authority rightly in obedience to God, um, but we know what happens. They, they failed. And so it's a, it ends up being a pointer. It was always intended to be, but it ends up being a pointer to, to Christ which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. But moving from Adam and Eve now to Israel as a nation, Israel's kings who, were, who had the same commission constantly failed to lead the nation to fulfill the mission of being a light to the nations, which caused them to continue to look forward to a coming king. So even Israel had a responsibility and some and, and authority, uh, uh, given by, by God, a commission given by God to Adam and Eve first and then to Israel as a nation um, to bring the people, that the nations around them, um, under the rule and reign of God, not with a, a sword, although there were pictures of that, uh, but ultimately as uh, priests and as uh, functional kings in that sense. And so we know what happened with Israel. They failed. Um, Jews of Jesus' day, 
as they were sort of looking now for this coming king, they were looking for a conquering king like David to conquer the Roman government. Let's, let's flip over to Acts 1. Look at verse 6 here. Acts 1, verse 6. It's interesting to see as we, you move from the beginning throughout Scripture, this constant anticipation of uh, someone to rule and exercise this, this authority. Someone to rule as, as, as king. Um, <clears throat> it's a common theme throughout, throughout Scripture. Uh, who's at Acts 6? You want to read that for us nice and loud? Acts 1-6, sorry. I got it. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, so you see there this anticipation of this kingdom, and you wonder, well, there, so there's, there's sort of residual uh, anticipation from even the Old Testament as it was built in looking for the king. And then you see here in Jesus' uh, disciples, they're looking for this kingdom to be established, this David-like figure to come and establish this kingdom, this one who would rule and uh, conquer um, and under whom all nations would be subject to his authority. But Jesus actually spoke, and this is what, I, what threw off the disciples and their anticipation of a king, that Jesus actually spoke of submission to authorities. And he would rebuke the religious leaders of Israel more than he did the Roman authorities. The scribes, the Pharisees, as Ron's been preaching through the book of Mark, over and over you see Jesus confronting these leaders in Israel. You don't, you don't see this uh, constant combating with the Roman authorities and saying, this is what we'll do against them. Let's, let's get a band together and fight against them. He's speaking to Israel's leaders and saying, you are supposed to be leading the people, but you are blind yourself. You're supposed to be leading the people, but you're leading them astray. Um, you're doing the very things that you're telling them not to do in your, in your own hypocrisy. And so with this anticipation of this king that would come and sort of overthrow and turn things, um, Jesus was uh, sort of shocking them in, his, in the way that he approached, or rather in his earthly ministry. In Matthew 5, 38 to 42, let's, let's turn there. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 38 to 42. Who wants to read those verses for us? <clears throat> Go for it, Matt. Thank you. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. All right. <clears throat> so again, it's this it's a it's an approach that's that's different. Uh, and they what they anticipated Jesus uh, would do and say as this one who was expressing authority was was different because their understanding of his kingdom was different. Some things they had right, but some things they had wrong. 
<clears throat> the disciples were right in assuming that Jesus would rebuild the temple, but the timing was off and their definition of the kingdom was, was off. Jesus needed to help them to understand. So this, this wouldn't be a physical kingdom established in the first century, but a spiritual kingdom um, that uh, has Christ as its king. Um, and the kingdom has come because Christ, the king, has come. And Christ will bring um, to completion this kingdom that he begins in the end. So there is a kingdom that has come because the king is there, but he's establishing a spiritual kingdom in his first coming, and it's moving toward consummation in his second coming. <clears throat> right? We've talked about this a little bit, um, the already and, and the not yet. I think Andrew co covered a bit of that, the already and the not yet. There are things that we experience now as being uh, in the kingdom. So Christians are in the kingdom. Colossians talks about uh, the believer being transferred from the domain of darkness and being brought into the kingdom of the sun, right? So that's a reality that we experience now. It's just, it's not complete. It's progressively moving towards an end where there will be no more sin and death or anything like that. Now, <clears throat> that leads us to the first point on your handout, Jesus as king during his earthly ministry. <clears throat> now, though a suffering king seems to be a contradiction, Jesus demonstrated his rule in several ways during his earthly ministry of humiliation. <clears throat> One, he showed dominion over creation. He showed dominion over creation. In the beginning, who had dominion over creation? Adam and Eve, <clears throat> right? So these things, again, aren't new. They're actually picking up what Adam and Eve dropped, and what Israel dropped. He's picking them up. He has dominion over creation. Jesus calmed the wind and the storms, showing his rule over the elements of creation. Uh, someone go to Matthew 8, uh, 23 to 27. Who wants that? Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Kyle. And then someone else go to Mark 4, 35 to 41. Who wants that? Mark 4, Harrison, 35 to 41. And then someone else go to Luke 8, 22 to 25. Who wants that? Matt? Okay. <clears throat> All right, Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Yep. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? And uh, Mark 4, verses uh, 39 to 41, uh, 35 to 41. Yep, thank you. Uh, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Uh, and other boats were with him. 
So it, when I've, um, in the past, um, looked at these verses uh, in my own thinking and just in my own church context, or in, that, in a, a certain ch- church context, you know, it would be, this passages like this would be used to say, well, Jesus, he can rebuke the waves in your life and give you a calm life. He can rebuke the storms in your life. Um, but that completely misses the point of, these passages. Um, Jesus is demonstrating his authority over creation. Uh, Jesus is sovereign over the waves and the winds that stir up and cause the turmoil, just as he's sovereign over the stilling of those waves and wind. Um, The the language that's used here when it talks about him, uh, it being calm um, and and rested the the sea as as glass, so to speak, is it's a it's a it's a tranquil, it's a calm that was um, abnormal. It wasn't uh, raging seas that calmed down a bit. It was something that caused them to actually get scared. Like, how is it? Who is this that can cause such raging sea to become as as glass? It was something that again shocked them which is why the response is fear, it's dread, um, <clears throat> because there's an authority displayed here um, that's supposed to, to, to show that this man, Jesus, is not like any other. Um, he's, he's not what, you're, what you were anticipating, expecting. He's not what you're, you're used to. Um, he's not like, like any other. <clears throat> not simply a prophet, not simply king, not simply a priest, but prophet, priest, and king as God. <clears throat> Jesus also demonstrated his rule over creation when he healed many people of their illnesses and disease. Illness and disease were the residue of sin and death on a fallen and cursed creation. We know that once Adam and um, Adam sinned, death entered, sin and death entered, and all of creation was cursed because of the man, right? <clears throat> Healing diseases... Uh, depicted the reversal of the fall and the hope of a redeemed humanity, free from sin, disease, and death. So we can, in one sense, look at someone who's sick 
and um, say, man, Adam and Eve. <laughs> that's why this person is sick. Uh, that's, that's true in, in one sense. But we can also look at Scripture who, and, and Christ's work of, of healing and his authority of raising men from their deadness and see this reversal of the curse, this reversal of, of, the, of the fall. Jesus fed 5,000 and they wanted to make him king because there was, again, an anticipation there. This king, a king protects, <clears throat> a king rules, but a king also provides. He provides for his subjects. He provides for those within his kingdom. Jesus comes, he multiplies these fish and loaves, and the people are saying, this must be the king. There was still this anticipation of a king. <clears throat> As they were looking to his, his works. Jesus also has dominion over demons. He also has dominion over demons. <clears throat> Jesus healed a man with an unclean spirit, showing his power over the spiritual forces of wickedness. Someone go to Mark 1, 21 to 28. <clears throat> Mark 1, 21 to 28. Who wants to read that for us? Oh, go for it, Rich. Thank you. Yep. <clears throat> and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as his scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed. And so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region around about Galilee. All right, thank you. Now this demon here clearly expressed his conflict with, with Jesus. And that Jesus coming would have an impact on him, the destructiveness of the demonic realm in some way. It had an impact on his, the, the, the demonic activity. He asked Jesus, have you come to destroy us? <clears throat> so this is a really interesting question. This, this demon, this fallen angel has some, he has some knowledge of the role of Christ for his own life, right? Um, this, this, this demon isn't, isn't saved. He's not regenerated. He's, he's fallen. God has pr provided no means for fallen angels to be um, redeemed. But he's, he says something. Have you come to destroy us? Now, this question recognized the true source of Jesus' origin and the true nature of Jesus' mission. Um, it just, it, it's interesting what can be learned here from how he responds to Jesus. The demon acknowledged the true identity of Jesus as the Holy One, 
who had the power to defeat him. Jesus' uh, healing of a paralytic showed that he had power to forgive sin. Um, Matthew 9, 5, <clears throat> which I'll go ahead and turn there and read. Matthew 9, 5. <clears throat> For which is easier to say, Jesus says, your sins or are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. <clears throat> Again, they see this, and they're, they're afraid. There's some fear and trembling that comes with what the Son of Man is, is doing and um, showing in his, his earthly ministry. Um, Jesus used Lazarus' death to teach about spiritual life and resurrection. He showed his power even over death. So there's wind and the waves, there's creation, which Adam and Eve dropped the ball. There's disease, which came into the world because of sin, which Jesus reverses in healing. And then there's also death itself. He, in raising Lazarus, displays that he has the authority. Um, that which came into the world through Adam and Eve's sin. Now Jesus reverses and says, not only can death, will death hold him, but he commands and says, Lazarus, come out, rise up. And he displays his authority over even death. Um, and John eleven twenty five. <clears throat> I'll go ahead and read that as well. John eleven twenty five. <clears throat> I'll start back up at um, twenty one. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? <clears throat> again, this he speaks with such authority. He speaks with, um, not, not like the scribes and the Pharisees, not as those who um, had a, uh, uh, were supposed to uh, carry out their role as um, the leaders of the people with some derivative um, authority. Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life, he says. Um, she says, no, he'll be raised at the resurrection. He says, no, I, <laughs> I am the resurrection. Um, it's, it's through me that anyone will have life or be raised. Again, just amazing, as just you think about from the perspective of those who were listening to Jesus' ministry and watching his earthly ministry. Um, he's saying amazing things. Those who believe in Jesus, again, will be resurrected to life after death. <clears throat> let, me, let me pause there, um, give you guys a, any comments or thoughts, questions on that. Is anything about what Jesus says or 
does up until this point where we talked about shock you. That's true. It's a yeah. good point. There was, um, there was a, and Moses, you know, yeah. looking, I mean, he did miraculous yeah. things. Um, they were miracles. Yeah. But it was, again, this derivative, yeah. yeah, it was God working through his prophet. Um, but there's something different about, about this. Yeah. yeah, I found your point in regards to the dominion over creation just super fascinating when you step back and really think about how it is to be understood in the context of a new Adam coming, mm. right? Details that Paul and other apostles later right. would kind of more unpack, but it's right. like you're seeing these parallels, and it's like the greater one, right? Yeah. Like the wilderness temptation, yeah. the greater one, you yeah. know, the greater one, the one, you know, and just seeing how these different things align. Yeah, yeah it's really fascinating, right? Because the yeah. Gospels don't, don't do the, like, interpretive work necessarily, I mean, they do at times, but you get that more like later yeah. on. Yeah. But yeah, making those connections just, yeah, super fascinating. It kind of blows your mind just to see how, again, how organic the Bible is and how these things all piece together. Absolutely. Things that you've read many, many times right. and just haven't thought, you know, twice about. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, when you think about Romans 5, um, when Jesus is referred to as uh, Adam, the yeah. second Adam, the last Adam, um, that's not... The spirit is not. He's, the spirit is not skipping over the the New Testament um, or the 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 Gospels, the, the synoptic Gospels, and the Gospels to, to to come to that, to bring us to that conclusion, to bring Paul to that. Um, the spirit is the one writing the scriptures, right? So he's when you when Paul says Jesus is the last Adam, we're meant to do that that legwork and draw out of the scriptures what's there that shows us how he's the last Adam. Um, it's not just sort of a, a hop to this conclusion, but it's actually, like you said, when you look at scriptures, it's building this narrative and it's supposed to sort of take us through the, the, the alleys of the word and to look at these things and notice them and bring us to that logical even conclusion that this is the last Adam um, because he's doing what the first Adam failed to do. In very interesting ways. <clears throat> but yeah, that's it. It's a good point. Any other thoughts? <clears throat> All right, let's look at the, the third point there. Jesus, or rather the kingdom of God. Jesus as king during his earthly ministry in relation to the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so Jesus came in the beginning of his ministry saying, repent and believe uh, for the kingdom is at hand. Now, the kingdom has come because the king has come. 
The king is here, therefore the kingdom is here. Not in the ways that many would have anticipated or expected, but he is, and he's showing how he's different. People wanted Jesus to stay in the same place as he was going about healing and providing provisions in different areas. They wanted him to stay in the same place because of his miracles. But he replies that he must preach the good news to other towns. Why? Because that's why he was sent. When you think about, or at least what comes to my mind is some of the conversations, the recent conversations in the past few years about the priority of Jesus' ministry. Was it the giving of the bread or the proclamation of the kingdom? Um, if he didn't give the bread, it's the proclamation of the kingdom still as important. Um, there's sort of been this, what was the priority in Jesus' own life, the word or the works? Um, and I think it's clear through scripture. So Jesus doesn't have these qualms. <laughs> um, he comes healing, proclaiming, providing, and all these miracles um, affirm who he is, his, his identity. But it's interesting to see in scripture that Jesus, as hordes of people come and they beg him to stay, Jesus is, he's walking through these towns healing and people are bringing them and he's not able to heal all of them, but he heals those whom he determined to heal. And he's going to leave and they're saying, no, 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 stay. There's, there's all these other people that need to be healed. And Jesus turns and says, well, I need to go and preach the gospel. Um, if Jesus would have been canceled, let's put it that way. He, he, he turns from all these people who are sick and, and deprived and, well, doesn't he care for the poor? And he says, no, I, I need to go to preach to another town. Um, that doesn't mean Jesus is, we, we wouldn't say he was heartless, that he didn't care, that he didn't prioritize uh, the needs of the people. Um, but Jesus had a mission, and that mission was the proclamation the kingdom is at hand. And these, these miracles, these works, they, they, they verified um, who he was and his identity as he carried out that mission. <clears throat> um, Jewish, um, um, uh, Jews expected uh, a kingdom, or they expected a king who would come to establish a kingdom to defeat their enemies, uh, the enemies of God. Uh, they expected him to establish righteousness and peace and to execute justice. Um, on those nations, those enemies of God's people. And looking at the Old Testament, just I think about the Psalms, we'll, we'll talk about in a, in a bit here, but you see this um, anticipation, uh, this, this, um, these imprecatory prayers even, that God's justice would be upheld. Lord, uphold your holy justice by um, dealing with the enemies of your people. They persecute your people. They uh, abuse, they slaughter your people, uphold justice and come and vengeance and, um, and wipe out these enemies of your people. And so there is a, I think a, a, a right expectation there that God will vindicate his holiness and uphold justice. But I think it came in a form that they weren't expecting. And Jesus will do that. <laughs> there is, Jesus came once, he's coming again to do that. Um, but again, their, their, their timing was off here. <clears throat> Demons referred to Jesus as the son of David. Again, they recognized the true source of Jesus' origin and the true nature of Jesus' mission. The present reality of the kingdom 
um, or rather that the kingdom, sorry, the present reality of the kingdom was demonstrated when Jesus tells the chief priests and elders that tax collectors and prostitutes would enter the kingdom of God before them. Now imagine how shocking that is to one who sees himself as a leader of the people. And Jesus says, that, that prostitute over there, she's closer to the kingdom than you are. She will enter the kingdom and, and you won't. Um, this, is, this would have been shocking to the ears of these Pharisees and these scribes and religious leaders. <clears throat> For them to hear that um, it's not physical relation to Abraham that makes one a child of Abraham, but it's spiritual relation to Christ that makes one a child of God. So he, he trumps the expectations uh, of, of, of Abraham that, well, if we have Abraham as our father, it's about me. No, but you don't understand, like you're illegitimate. We actually have Abraham as our father. No, it's, it's about me. Genesis, uh, or rather uh, Galatians 3, I mean, the whole chapter, the book of Galatians, but the chapter three talks about um, this union with Christ that trumps this understanding of one's physical relation to Abraham. Paul actually interprets Genesis for us and says, well, it's not about the offspring, offsprings, uh, Abraham's offsprings and being in union with him physically. It's about the offspring, singular Christ and being in union with him. <clears throat> The present reality of the kingdom, again, was demonstrated when Jesus tells these chief priests things like this. Um, someone go to Galatians 3.29. Galatians 3.29. There would be no um, stronger, for lack of better terms, like bragging rights to say, and to say, well, we have Abraham as our father. We're in the physical lineage of, of Abraham, like the father of the faith, right? If you could boast in anything, it would be that. These are the things that Paul said, yeah, I could boast in these things, but they became as, as, as dumb to me. But re, um, someone read, Gen read Galatians 3.29. <clears throat> and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise. Yeah. So all the promises, um, I think about, you remember like when in school that you would take the two like empty two liter bottles and you like tape them and like make a tornado with it. Like all of the promises are funneled through Jesus Christ. Um, all of the, the, the yes and amen and the affirmations of these promises they come through union with Christ. All of them are now, they're, they're funneled through the one man. And so it's not about looking at, at, at Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. They have a place as they, that the preserving of this line through which the Messiah would come, but they all find their, um, the, the strength, the, the depth, the, um, the, the benefits of the new covenant come through Christ. <clears throat> And now the issue comes down to believing God's message. Those who are entering the kingdom of God believed John the Baptist, 
who pointed to Jesus and ultimately the kingdom, which would be determined by one's relationship to Christ. Their entrance into the kingdom was determined by their relationship to him, to Christ the Messiah. If the kingdom of God is present through the ministry of Jesus, and people can enter through him, uh, through, through faith in him, what is the nature of this kingdom he came to accomplish? People recognize that Jesus has the authority to rule their lives, and the spiritual nature of the kingdom is now forgiveness of sins, and it's not of this world. It's of, of another world, a world that will be established. Now, any, any thoughts on that before I try and squeeze number four in here? Anything else come to mind, Harrison? Salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and 
inquired carefully, mm-hmm. inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating yep. when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you to those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Yeah. But it says it's, um, you know, God has a plethora of purposes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. In all these things and in concealing these things. It's like uh, Proverbs 25 2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal things, mm. and it's the glory of kings to search them out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's good. <clears throat> That's yeah, good. It, it, it all plays into the, the the overarching drama yeah. of history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to 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 thread all things together, you know, and, and to weave this tapestry of of God's decree. Yeah. Yep. Amen. I think uh, it was Albert Moeller that called it the uh, meta narrative. Uh, I remember hearing that at a Ligonier conference years ago. I was like, meta narrative. What? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I see what he said. <laughs> it's it's just that that sort of overarching overarching theme there. Um, I'll, I'll piggyback off of that and just make a couple of comments on um, the suffering king. <clears throat> so again, this um, this anticipation of a king and what he would do, um, and what they thought he would do was. Suffering wasn't in the category of what they were anticipating um, happening to the king. <clears throat> if the kingdom that Jesus came to establish did not match the people's expectation, it's no surprise that the kingship that Jesus came to fulfill did not match their expectations either. <clears throat> but again, this shouldn't be anything. It shouldn't be anything new necessarily, uh, because even in the Old Testament, you think about First Samuel 17. I'll just read verses 34 to 35 here in 1 Samuel 17. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for the father. And when there came a lion or bear um, and, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the head and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivers me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. This, the, the shepherd, even of Psalm 23, is identified as the Lord who provides everything that the sheep need. Feeds them, protects them, he wars for them. And the king of Israel, the the kings of Israel rather, were also considered the shepherds who provided for the people. So this, Christ being this this shepherd, um, my my kids uh, and uh, our family were reading through um, the Pilgrim's Progress again with uh, with these different characters which are like owls and rabbits and this book that Norm gave. I think he's given it out to the families in the church. But it's a really good book. Um, and in that, the, the, there's a, a narrative where the, the lion is carrying a lamb 
and it says that his feet um, are all cut up from the, the vines and the thorns and the thistles. Um, and my kids stop and say, well, his feet, they're cut, they're bleeding. Why are they bleeding? And so explain to them, well, he's carrying the lamb. The lamb is, is protected and kept and held by the lion, but the lion is being cut up himself as he carries the lamb. Um, and that's this, this picture, um, it's a really, really good picture of what you see even throughout the Old Testament and what Christ does in the New. Um, you see a, a king who, who protects his people. He provides for them. He provides their spiritual needs, their greatest need. Um, he provides union um, by the Spirit and access to the Father, their greatest need. Um, but he provides them and protects them by himself taking the, 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 the suffering, uh, the torture even, um, for them. Not just um, uh, the persecution from his fellow men, which believers endure now, but the, the greatest um, of sufferings um, on the cross. He dies in the place of the sheep whom he has, you know, that, that, that the Father has given him. And so the, the ultimate display and show of the protection of a king is not merely in providing food or water, which he does, but for providing himself. Uh, he's the one who goes before. He's the one who dies to protect the sheep, to, to, to keep them, uh, to, to uh, save them from sin, from death, from Satan. And so these are the, the death of Christ, which would have looked like to his followers, well, you're, you're a king, but he's being crucified. He's a king, but he's about to suffer and die. They couldn't compute how this is consistent with uh, kingship, but it was the greatest display of kingship. It was the greatest display of protection um, of these sheep, these precious sheep. And so, uh, <clears throat> so it, it's, a, it, it's something that <coughs> causes the the Christian to hail King Jesus as King because he indeed is. Yes, the Lord provides our daily bread. We see that in the Lord's prayer. Um, and we, and he does. <laughs> he provides for the birds and he says, you don't, don't worry. I, I feed them, I'll feed you. I clothe the flowers, I'll clothe you. But there's this grand picture of that protection and the display um, in his death. And then he raises them in himself Again, just a, a marvelous, marvelous picture. This little overview doesn't do it justice, but just like David, the suffering king, in Psalm, in Psalm 22, Jesus is mocked by the Roman soldiers with the words, um, Hail, King of the Jews. Um, and he's crucified with the charge written on the cross. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Even the providence of God shown in something like a, an inscription um, is just really mind-blowing but I'll, I'll stop there um, give a couple of uh, minutes for questions or anything <clears throat> comments or questions okay well I'll, I'll pray for us and then you guys can go into the sanctuary <clears throat> okay. father we thank you again for your word Thank you for Jesus Christ, who we've been able to study and have our minds um, sharpened and our consciences um, uh, confirmed 
as Jesus, as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Uh, thank you for um, the ways that we've, we can glean from scripture and have our faith um, further strengthened and established. Thank you for the, the Son of Man, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is carrying us in himself to that great end um, where we will have unbroken fellowship and communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, with our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Lord's Day, which is a, a break in the seven days that you've given to us, a day that um, gives us the, the closest experience here in a fallen world and these bodies that still um, go after sin. This is the closest experience, the Lord's Day, to that great day. Um, as we hear the word preached and we hear the word prayed and we sing together as we take the Lord's Supper. Um, Lord, help us to squeeze um, and receive all the benefits that you have for us in the Lord's Day for the strengthening of our souls for another six days of, of work. So Lord, bless us now as we go into the corporate worship room and um, worship you together. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat>